Okay, so I haven't done a start to a podcast with a little bit of guitar work for a long time. But let me put that back down over there. Make sure it doesn't fall down. Go the guitar. Uh, so that was a cover of a cover. Um, that's um, Heartbeats. Heartbeats. Uh, and the version of that is by Jose Gonzalez. It's originally a song by a Swedish band. And uh, yeah, uh, I've been fooling around with that this morning. A little bit of free time this morning. So I've been fooling around with that. Um, I found a tab on the internet. I got the correct tuning and just mucking around with it. That's, that's, that's about an hour's worth of doodling on it. Um, not too difficult. But uh, it's got a lot of open notes that ring. So if you hit the wrong one, and I hit one wrong note there, moving <coughs> to the second chord um, on the last part, I, I, it was as soon as I hit it, but um, that's okay. Um, so one of those simple songs that doesn't leave you any room for maneuver. So simple but tricky. But uh, having a bit of fun with that. Um, it's good to have the guitars here again, um, up here in the Italian Alps. I, I went for a walk this morning. It was snowing very lightly and went for a walk up through the forest past some um, mountain, restored mountain barns. They're called Mazi. So Mazo is a restored mountain barn or a mountain barn and beautiful, beautiful buildings, all stone and wood and done up really nicely and um, you used to be able to like only four or five years ago pick them up really cheaply even redone because no one really wanted them but then after COVID and everyone got locked down in major cities like Milano for months on end in you know a three-room apartment with four family members and suddenly people realized the value of these barns so <laughs> I've kind of missed out unfortunately um but that's okay um all's good um so yeah went for a walk through the snow nice walk nice snow it stopped snowing now it rained a little bit um and uh, uh, it's still all cloudy and 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 autumnly because we still have another month of um well another three weeks of win of autumn before we officially get to winter <clears throat> and I saw a, um, a site, let me find this, let me go, I'm just thinking about this now. Um, I sent a copy of this to someone. So I saw um, severeweather.eu, snow extent, northern hemisphere, highest in 56 years. So this came out three days ago. Snow extent in the Northern Hemisphere now among the highest in 56 years increases the likelihood of cold early winter forecasts both in North America and Europe. And they've got a bunch of graphs, but the interesting ones, the first graph actually, uh, so NOAA, Rutgers Weekly, Northern Hemisphere Snow Cover Extent, CDR, snow years from 1967 to 2022 versus 2023. They've got... Uh, Blue line for the 56-year max it's ever been. Uh, orange line for the lowest it's ever been, the 56-year minimum. And then they've got the 56-year mean on a, on a dotted line. And then in a 
big purple line they've got 2022-2023, which is up halfway through uh, November, and it is above the 26-year-old max line by a decent amount. Uh, I'll put the link for that in the show notes, but that's that's interesting. That's interesting from two points of view. I suppose the first point of view where it's particularly interesting is the fact that there's a special military operation going on in right between Russia and the Ukraine, or the Russia versus NATO, the international community. <laughs> and yeah, um, if we get a really cold winter in Europe, and we haven't had a really cold one here for a while um, but it all goes in it all goes in cycles and peaks and troughs and short year cycles long year cycles that sort of stuff and so we're probably due and by the look of it we're going to get one so that's going to make um, Western Europe have a bit of a tricky one with the energy crisis particularly the Germans who have backed themselves into a big corner um, it's going to make life in Ukraine very hard for people who have no electricity. I, I saw an article where the Ukrainian uh, uh, authorities were, I can't call them a government, the Ukrainian authorities were telling people to get out of major cities if they have a place in the country with a wood stove and some sort of running water, go there. That tells you what's going on. Um, I'm living in the mountains with not one but two wood stoves and I've got all my wood so I'm feeling pretty good about that uh, running water too um, and then of course the I've seen over the last week numerous articles it's really God it's such a it's such a mind fuck in a way to be reading really clued in guys um, like Larry Johnson and um, and Andre, what's his last name? I can never remember it. I can never pronounce it anyway. Over at uh, Smoothie X, um, 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 Andre Martinov, and and other guys. The Saker occasionally has some good stuff as well. But I think a lot of what's written on the Saker is um real tinfoil hat stuff a lot of the time just overblown and also really badly written so i, ha I struggle with that side a bit occasionally you get some absolute gems on the saker but um a lot of it's not great moon of alabama of course is really good for uh what's going on uh on the military operations side of things but to read those guys and then a few days later in a major uh, publication like the Wall Street Journal or the Australian or um, the Times or something like that and to read stuff that is just completely out of this world the opposite of what's being said by these guys obviously complete propaganda um, I read one the Australian had an article the other day that um, P Putin is in fear of his life because his generals are about to turn on him Wow um so it is such a it's such a, a glaring discrepancy to you know read those articles or s not even read them i just see the headlines i don't even read the articles all i need to do is let's let's play that game let me just open the australian's homepage because that's the the one that i like to glance through the headlines and i don't read it because i don't have a 
current subscription to the Australian. Uh, now it's not opening. Oh, yes, it is. Okay, let's see what they're saying about um, Russia on Ukraine war, Russia on back foot. This is one of their top stories. Uh, Moscow is searching for a symbolic victory in Ukraine's east while denying claims it is preparing to abandon a key nuclear power plant it has occupied since March. Okay. Right, whatever. Um, let's go down to international news because they'll have some they'll have some more stuff there. Uh, the nation ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Uh, yeah, Russia's on back foot again. Oh, they haven't got much on Russia today because China's kind of dominating the headlines. Okay. But anyway, um, it's quite, it's quite, yeah, out of this world. But anyway, they had an article in the Australian, oh, it was at the Wall Street Journal a few days ago, where they're basically saying that uh, winter is the time that Ukraine's going to regroup because everything's going to shut down and that will give Ukraine the chance to be able to then make a major push and win the war in 2023 in the summer. Uh, apart from the fact, obviously, that Ukraine's already lost the, the conflict. Um, once the ground freezes, Russia's, Russia's moving. Russia is definitely moving. They're going to do exactly like January 1945. January, uh, January 1945, it got really cold quick, late in 44. You probably remember a little, a little tussle called the Battle of the Bulge, where temperatures were really, really cold. But uh, Russia wasn't in a position to move at that point. And then in mid-January, it all thawed out and got really muddy, especially up around, you know, uh, eastern Poland, Estonia, Latvia, those sort of places where the front line was between uh, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. And so what Russia basically had to wait for was for the ground to freeze again. Because once the ground's frozen, then nothing is stopping those tanks and it makes artillery shells all the more deadlier. If an artillery shell lands and explodes in muddy ground, then a good part of the blast, depending on the angle in which it goes in, is going to be absorbed by the mud, by the ground. But if you land on frozen ground an artillery shell, when that thing goes off, it's basically, it's doing the maximum amount of damage to everything around it that can possibly do. So tanks can move, artillery shells are more deadly, uh, troops can move across frozen waterways, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, this, this whole article i see in i think it was the wall street journal whatever um yeah the, this winter everything's going to die down but of course i was about to say they're in for a big shock but they're not because they just they just say lie after lie and then they they don't even remember the last lie they said it's like trying to pick up lefties on their lies it's a you know it's a it's a pointless game it's a pointless game the only thing you can really do with lefties is mock them mercilessly and then and then move right on from that, you know, throw the bomb, move on. Um, don't stand there and get in a protracted bomb-throwing argument. Just lob it and then let them lose their minds and then move forward and lob the next one. That's the best way to deal with, with lefties in a propaganda way, which I've learned over the years. It's why, it's why you're on the comment section of my blog. Uh, if you read my blog, just let me get a bottle of water. I've got a bit of a dry throat. If you read my blog, 
Um, and if you'll notice that in the comment section, I, I rarely join in. This has been a thing of mine for a while. I rarely join in even if someone lobs in and does a comment which is particularly egregiously stupid and trolling and against, you know, completely getting whatever point I was, I was making purposely wrong. Um, I kind of, now I, I really like just leaving those comments to stand and letting them speak for themselves against what I've already written in my article, um, which is the point. And I just love leaving them there and letting um, uh, other readers read my bit, then read that comment and then make up their own minds. I just think that's the absolute best way to go. Uh, what's also delicious is, of course, sometimes when one of my uh, when another commenter will will go into the attack and cut the legs of the obvi- obvious troll. Um, that's always that's always funny as well. Um, but I just I just let it all go for the most part. Um, I have had situations where I've left comments up like that, and the other commenters have mocked them so severely that. Uh, the trollers tried to delete the original comment, but I always, uh, that's happened a few times, but I just, I just put them back in there because I've, I've got saved versions of what's going on. So I'll just put it back in there and in a way that they can't then edit it themselves. So that's the, that's the best way to, for me, I, I, the article's my bomb, that's what I lob. After that, you can say whatever you want. I'm moving on to the next article um, or podcast or whatever it is. Occasionally, I need to go in there and, and, and slap them around, but but it, it's usually it's for a particular reason. Anyway, today's podcast. Uh, there's a Orthodox monk um, on Gab called Abbot Tryphon, T-R-Y-P-H-O-N, at Abbot Tryphon. Um, who I follow, I like him because he, uh, even though he's an Orthodox priest, obviously I'm Catholic, he, he comes out with some really nice stuff. And he has a little bit up today, two types, which type of Christian are you? So I'm going to quote from him now. There are two types of Christians. There are those who can say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And then there are those Christians who believe Christ was crucified so that we do not have to crucify ourselves. The first type are part of a Christianity of sacrifice and the second are given over to the ego. The Christian who believes he must be crucified with Christ will constantly call upon the Lord for help but will be ever willing to take up his own cross and follow Christ. He does not expect to have an easy road nor is he easy on himself. Most important part I'm reading now. This type of Christian is ever looking at his own sins, his own fallen nature, and seeing how far he has fallen short of the glory of God. The second type of Christian expects the road to be easy, sees himself as more spiritual than most, and is constantly looking to see the error in his neighbor and offer correction. He rarely calls upon the Lord for help, for he expects an easy road, and only prays for help when facing an unpleasant situation. He does not take up his cross since he sees no value in suffering. 
The second type of Christian fails to notice that refusing to judge another brings down God's mercy on himself. The Lord tells both types of Christians, If a man comes to me and does not bear his cross, he cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.26 Only the first type of Christian notices those words and heeds them. And that's, uh, that's the end of it. Really like that. Let me read again the, first, the part about the first type of Christian. A Christian who believes he must be crucified with Christ will constantly call upon the Lord for help. So constantly calling upon the Lord for help means that you um, know that you can't do it alone. That you can only do it with God's help and grace. Constantly calling upon the Lord for help means daily prayer. Uh, I spoke... uh, to Giuseppe Filotto about my daily prayer schedule, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. It was a YouTube bit that we had up a month or so ago. I'll say it now. I say one decade of the rosary. So joyful mysteries on Monday, sorrowful mysteries Tuesday, glorious on Wednesday, repeat Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, it depends if it's joyful, sorrowful, or... Um, glorious depending on the time of the year so we're going into advent so that's going to be joyful on the sunday whereas in easter for example it'll be sorrowful normally it's glorious but it changes a few times around the years so i'll say one decade of the rosary that takes about 20 minutes um and it's really important when you're praying to be aware it has to be conscious prayer it's so easy to fall into rote Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord of... And your, and your mind is literally thinking about completely other things. Um, that, that's like offering dried and faded flowers to Our Lady, whereas a conscious Hail Mary, where you're visualizing Mary, where you're trying as much as you can to send that prayer to whom needs it most are like bouquets of roses. Uh, I heard Father Ripica describe it that way, that a, a demon described it that way during an exorcism when he laughed at their Hail Marys that they were reciting and saying, your Hail Marys are, are nothing because you're not doing it in an actionable, conscious way. So you pray and then you need your prayer to be um, powerful. Words are powerful. We know that. I deal in words. I write. I talk. Um, I play and sing guitar. I sing as well. Words are powerful. Well, prayer is the most powerful form of words. So the, the more... potent you are with your words the more potent you are with the prayer the more effective they're going to be so it's not just getting down and kneeling down holding your rosary breeds and reciting a decade of the rosary it's about how you recite it how knowledgeable and active you are in the moment like even a form of meditation and your mind will drift but you need to keep bringing it back. You've got 
53 Hail Marys that you're going to say in one decade of the rosary. That's 53 chances to get it really right. And for every time that you kind of wake yourself up and realize that you've been drifting off as you were reciting it, that's that's okay. You're now consciously aware of what you were doing. Now get consciously aware in the moment and make the next one as good as you can do it. Then I pray uh, to St. Rita. There's a nice, uh, she's a patron of Impossible. There's a nice nine-day novena, uh, which I got from Harvey Milliken. And then I do the Seven Sorrows, Devotion to Our Lady, Seven Sorrows. One sorrow for each day of the week. You recite the sorrow and then you recite seven Hail Marys. So, constantly calling upon the Lord for help, that's what constant prayer is. And it's not constantly asking the Lord for stuff. Most of the time I'm trying to be as grateful as I can be, showing his gratitude. Thank you for what you did yesterday. What I'll also do, I started to doing, is let's say something important's going on that day. So let's say I've got an important meeting. Okay, Maybe it's a business meeting. Okay, I'll ask the Lord for help to be gracious and um, on point in that meeting and for the meeting to go well as God desires it to go well for me. Maybe what I desire to go well in the short term is not what God needs for me in the long term. So you've got to be putting yourselves in his hands, that's what it means about calling upon the Lord for help. Okay. So, to go on, but will be ever willing to take up his own cross and follow Christ. He does not expect to have an easy road, nor is he easy on himself. This type of Christian is ever looking at his own sins, his own fallen nature, and seeing how far he has fallen short of the glory of God. Mm. you can only if you're struggling with a particular sin and we all struggle with different sins you can only really begin to make serious headway into overcoming an habitual sin when you move to the point of hating the sin itself. You really have to hate the sin. Maybe you take drugs. Let's use that one. Because it seems to be one where we can offer it up without any social embarrassment, which says something about our times. In order to overcome that sin... Like I said, you need to hate that sin. I have overcome certain sins in my life. And all of them that I've overcome, I've overcome by getting to the point where I hated the sin. At some points, I actually made a pledge to God not to do the sin anymore, that that was it. And then if I did break that pledge, 
then serious time in purgatory is on offer on top of everything that I'm probably going to get anyway. That's been effective for me as well. Uh, I'm talking about a serious pledge here. Are you a man of your word in front of God? So looking at yourself, looking at how you behave, looking at your actions, your words, your thoughts, trying to constantly be better, trying to constantly be more worthy, more graceful. This is the type of Christian that Abbot Trifon is talking about. It's the person who takes up his cross. That's what taking up your cross means. Active Christianity within your life. You have to help yourself before you can help others. You have to be genuine with yourself before you can be genuine with others. The second type of Christian who runs around finding fault in others and avoiding doing the hard work of themselves is really in a terrible place and having a terrible time of it when you think about it. And I know people like that. And you see people like that on our corner of the internet. It's why I'm less inclined as the years go by to point the finger. It's why I'm less inclined as the years go by to give out unsolicited advice. In fact, I think I've mostly got over that sin. So it's only a venal sin. Even when it comes to solicitor's advice, what I generally do now is offer my help whenever the person needs it. This is a tricky situation you're in, tricky situation your family member's in. You know where I am. You know you can always call. I'll do what I, whatever I can to help in the situation. That's what I tend to do now. So easy to give that advice. I think you should do this, blah, blah, blah. No. I don't know what I do in your shoes. Maybe I do this, maybe I do that. It's very complicated. I'll just be there for you. I think that's a much better move. And more humble. I got accused of being prideful by various commentators on the piece I wrote taking apart those guys on our side of the internet who got vax and now have a problem with us who didn't. And I got told that, I got comments straight up on the piece that I was suffering from the sin of pride. I don't know. Would, would you have said the same thing to Jesus when he was kicking the money lenders out of the temple? Sometimes you've got to stand up and say it. That's the tricky line, isn't it? It's like, let's go with the, the homosexual gay 
um, propaganda craze, um, which is just simply awful on so many levels. If you don't say anything, then you're tacitly putting up with it, which means you're, in a way, uh, part of the sin, part of the general sin. When it comes to the vaccines, the guys who took the vaccine for whatever reason have demonstrated to be morally compromised, have demonstrated that's the, that, that there is a point where they will be morally compromised. There is, they will hold firm up to a certain point, but after that point, they're not going to hold firm anymore, which shows that they live in a world of fear and operate out of fear, fear of the world, fear of their fellow man and what consequences might hit them. And they're undependable. You can't count on them in a tight fix. Now, I didn't say anything against those guys until they started saying that we needed to feel sorry for them. That's the point where I went, hang on a second. Let's get real here. You caved. There's only... One thing you should be fearful of in this world, and that's God. That's it. That's the only thing you need to be afraid of. You need to, and it's a, it's a gift to have a healthy fear of God. You love God, but you fear God. That's the only thing you need to be afraid of. I think it was General Stonewall Jackson from the... Uh, generally American Civil War, who said that he has no fear in battle exactly as he has no fear when lying in bed asleep. He could die in bed, lying in bed asleep. He could die in battle. Obviously, there's more chance of dying in battle than lying in bed. But the point is that his point was, God knows when it's time. Okay. And he said, if every man walked into battle with the same attitude well an army that did that would be invincible obviously so yeah what type of christian are you of course there are my listeners who are not christian at all though i have seen on the blog over the last few years um, people come back to christianity or come to christianity for the first time and i've had people tell me that i've um, help them in that way and that makes me feel very humble indeed that's probably the best news I can ever get ever that um, I helped someone get to the point where they made a certain decision to come back to Christianity of course I didn't make the decision for them I'm not saving anybody you've got to do it yourself but if I can have a hand in helping you along, well, I mean, I originally set up the, the website, the blog, to promote the first book that I wrote. And then, of course, I just have to have my say. So that's another extenuation of the blog and why it continues. But now I, I really think that the reason that I write 
is to help get people to a point where they make a certain decision, but also to give faith to people who might be doing it tough because, once again, to quote Abbot Typhon, he does not expect to have an easy road, nor is he easy on himself. That can be a very lonely situation to find yourself in. I personally don't find it lonely because I trust in God. So I'm 51. I don't have any kids. Wife divorced me four years ago. I'm by myself. Um, Moved back to Italy. There are big challenges with that whole, this whole period of time. Big challenges that I'm not giving any indication on any of my published material because A, it's private, and B, we all have our own stuff to deal with. But it's been a tricky, tricky period of time. I'm seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, if you want to go ahead and pray for me, then I would be very grateful for that. But the point is, is that I, I don't ever feel lonely. I, and I'm you know, living up in a tiny little mountain village in the Alps. Um, in a community which is new to me this year. I don't ever feel lonely because... Well, probably because I'm an antisocial prick. That could have something to do with it. And if you meet me, I'm generally the life of the party if I feel like being it. Um, but uh, I'm not a big fan of people, to be honest. I really need my space. Like I had um, Tony Lowe came and stayed uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I'd never met Tony before. We'd, we'd spoken a few times on Telegram. And a few emails and stuff like that, and I'd helped him out with a few things. And he was coming through this way and and was going to take a detour up to come and see me. And I said, absolutely no problem. I've never met this guy in real life. So I said to him, because I've never met you, I have to impose the three-day rule. And he said, what's the three-day rule? And I said, well, the three-day rule is for anyone I haven't met or spent time with before. Uh, it's a maximum of three days you get to stay. Um, that I hang around with you. And that goes also if I visit someone else. So if I'm coming to visit you, and I've never met you before, but you've invited me and I've decided, okay, that's a cool thing, I'll be there a maximum of two nights. Absolute maximum. And then I'm out of there. Because it's just, it's the... It's the first time. I don't like to outstay welcomes, and I don't like people to outstay their welcomes. I don't like it to get uncomfortable. And I have, a, I have a certain amount of energy which I'm prepared to give out. And, then, and, and, and when you get me, you get 100%. But, you know, after that, I, I need to recharge. And, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. For, for people that I know well, for old friends, I've had old friends come and stay with me. Oh, I think this was back in 2004, no, 2006. Something like that. Winter of 2006-2007, when I was living in Val di Sole in the Trentino Alps, I think I had I had a bunch bunch of friends come. I think one stayed six weeks, one four, one 
almost three months. Everyone was snowboarding, of course. Um, and I think at one point there were five of us in my house. Old, old friends, no problem at all. Great time, had a really good time. But for people that I don't know, you know, it's, that's the way it is. So, yeah, I'm a bit of an antisocial prick. Um, I also know my limits and I'm old enough to acknowledge them, accept them for what they are and happily communicate them to other people without any feelings of anxiety. Like, like when I said that to Tony, well, there wasn't any, oh, my God, what's Tony going to think? Honestly, didn't care. It's just like, oh, I come and hang out really happy for you to make that effort to come and see me. Um, but it's a maximum of three days. Um, so, yeah, I don't... I think, though, it's not a question of loneliness. I'll go back to Abbot Trifon's words. He does not expect to have an easy road, nor is he easy on himself. I understand that this can be... that this is a tough road. And you can have moments of demoralization because I get them too. So if the, if the stuff that I put out there helps that in any way, then, then that's, a, um, that's a big deal. And, uh, and I'm very happy about that. Okay. Um, so I did a podcast two weeks ago with Tony, and then we did a greasy poll last week with the great one, which was a which was a good one. I think that was one of our better ones. Uh, of course, the great one stuffed up my levels, so I'm a little bit hissy. I hope that this is not going to be the case now on this one. I've turned all the levels down. Uh, it's kind of a balance between having it high enough so that people aren't going to complain that the volume's too low, but not having it up big enough that it's all breaking up and being disgusting. So hopefully um, it's where it needs to be. Um, so there we go. Um, shout outs, Captain Capitalism, Aaron Clary. I haven't done a shout out to him in a while. Um, he's now mainly YouTubing it and podcasting it. Um, I think he's moved away from the written piece. Um, but check his site out at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. All of his books. Bachelor Pad Economics, what's he got? There's so many of them. Has he got any... Has he put... I mean, I, we, we, did a, we did a podcast with Aaron about his last book. Uh, has he got any... No, that's his latest book. That's his latest book. Um, okay. Uh, but check him out. Um... And then you can buy my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, and Run Guts, Pull Cones. Maybe you need them for some, I don't know, Christmas presents. That would be good. You know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm keeping it short. Thanks for listening. And um, I'll try to get these back up on a weekly basis, guys. Okay? We'll try and get... Trying to try and get these on a weekly basis, and I'll keep them around the thirty-five to forty-minute mark. I think that's more than enough. And um, and then greasy poll once a month. We'll see how we go, but uh, yeah, hopefully we can get more regular, which would be nice. Cool. All right. So this has been uh, pushing rubber podcast. 
Thank you very much. And I'll see you again, talk to you again next week. Ciao.